0: Good morning. Coming up this hour is Pomo Perspective, which comes to you every third Monday morning of the month at 9 a.m., alternating with Mendo Latino. Michael Hunter, who hosts and produces the show, uh, is not here today. I'm Alicia Bales sitting in. He has invited a special guest to talk about the topic on everyone's mind right now, fire. And uh, the guest is Reno Keone Franklin. Hey, Reno, are you there?
1: Hey, good morning. Good yep, morning. I am here.
0: And you are... A perfect person to talk about fires since as you just told me you've come off of a 36 day run at the emergency operations center for northern california fires
1: yeah yeah so i'm coming off a, a a rotation that uh had me pretty spread out for a while there <laughs> so nice to nice to be sitting uh, in my backyard drinking a coffee for a change.
0: Well, thank you for taking uh, the time to come on the air today. I can't imagine how exhausted you are. Um, But... You Let me introduce you. Reno Keone Franklin is the chairman emeritus of the Kashaya Band of Pomo Indians and the vice chairman of the Sonoma County Indian Health Project. He was also appointed by President Obama to the President's Advisory Council on Historic Preservation to advise the President and Congress on National Historic Preservation Policy, a position that he now is holding in his third administration, in the Biden administration. But today, uh, for all of the issues that you can speak of, with authority we're going to be talking about fire fire you are a firefighter and an emt uh and um can you just talk about what your experience on the fires right now the fires that are burning right now which fires are you working and and what agencies are you working with and what is your role
1: yeah so so um i i play a role um as uh a, a tribal liaison to um, to ensure that uh, tribal government concerns are uh, voiced, are carried into the EOC, um, that there is uh, dedicated uh, resources available if needed, um, and to, uh, to really bring in, um, a tribal-centric focus into um, the, the view of, uh, of an ongoing fire operation or emergency. And so uh, b- what does that look like? It, it looks like, you know, kind of an understanding, right? That right now, uh, and because of the Dixie Fire, there are um, homeless uh, and evacuated Indian people, um, some who have homes to return to if they've been evacuated and some that don't. And uh, they are staying on the properties of uh, friends and family members, um, and, okay. Uh, you know, and uh, and and really gutting it out the way, that, uh, Paradise, the way that people did after Paradise, way that people did after Campfire. You know, and, um, all of our uh, in Sonoma County uh, during the Tubbs fire, all of our uh, state parks and uh, and you know campgrounds were full of evacuees, and um, the reservation, you know, up in Kachaya uh, at Stewart's Point, our reservation just flooded. You know it quadrupled and then quadrupled again in size, you know, in, in 48 hours, it's really, it's because people are, are, you know, going to where they're comfortable, um, and where they feel safe. And so you have a lot of that happening up in, uh, Plumas County, and Lassen County right now. And so, you know, it's, it's trying to, um, work with, with, uh, like-minded other people who are looking to find where folks are at, so we can uh, get resources to them. You know, unfortunately, uh, you know, that, that is a slow process. This, that fire has not, this is crazy. It's like the, the second largest, uh, you know, fire in the, um, in the recent history of the state, right? And and it's not a FEMA-declared disaster yet, so Red Cross and all these folks that normally would go in and help out can't go in. And so it's a scramble to try and get resources to, to those families, you know, make sure that they have some kind of generation to protect their uh, insulin, you know, or their or their breathing machines. It just whatever it is, you know. So so it's bringing the the tribal perspective of uh, Indian people are going to be more comfortable with other Indian people. They're not going to want to go to this big campground or this big evacuation center. Uh, and we'd prefer, really, to be honest with you, to stay on our own land. And uh, and and that's a, that's something I think is unique to Indian people. Um, you might have others, you know, that, that feel the same way, that are like, you know, two or three generations here, four generations here in California, but uh, that, that, that doesn't uh, compare to, you know, hundreds, if not thousands of generations of uh, one family on one piece of land, you know, that was removed and tried to kill us, but nope, we're still here on this piece of land, no fire's going to tell me where to go. That kind of a, a thinking. Is, uh, is very unique to us. And so, you know, so just making sure that we're trying to find ways to look out for those folks and staying in contact with tribal governments and how to talk to tribal governments. So my phone has rang off the hook for the last uh, 30, 30 days. Uh, that's just Dixie, you know. Um, so my, my role isn't just for Dixie fire, it also extends into the river fire and the uh, 22, 23 different fires that all kind of went on at the same time. <laughs> Over the last thirty
0: days, wow! So, it's yeah, hard to there's... keep some perspective from here in Mendocino County because we're looking at them. Uh, we're looking at the fires closer to home that have been. A, a lot of fires have been starting, but they've been small, and Cal Fire has been hitting them very, very hard and and getting them out. I mean, small, you know, fifty to two hundred yeah. acres. Um, but and meanwhile, Dixie Fire is is raging across Plumas. And, and several other counties as well and so it's um, you know it's 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 strange to to keep that perspective but it, it just sounds like a massive effort it's very surprising to hear that the federal government has not yet made the declaration
1: not really if you know the, if you know the, the formula it's got to burn down so many structures so many homes and so you know so believe me there are people who are watching that very carefully right? And uh, and so if you kind of know what that threshold is, you know, then then, um, then you, you're kind of like, oh, my God. You know, you're just sitting there. You're, you don't want places to burn. You don't want people to lose their homes. But I think that they need to change that up so that um, it's not just based on homes. That you can, It also is a, the, the formula includes um, land as well, right? So How much, you know how much ag land was lost because that contributes to the overall economy. And, and, it, and it's a kind of a, a crappy way of looking at this, but the way that it works, you know, it's based on the economy and how much the economy is going to lose. Right. And then, and then homes, <laughs> if there was a way to also say like ag land, because now all these people that rely on those jobs, you know, uh, and roads and that kind of infrastructure, And not just say loss of homes and loss of businesses. You know, I mean come on, five hundred thousand plus acres, you'd think it would just qualify just just for the the maintenance and the roads and those things those things alone. You know, and and I get that you can't do that with a fifty acre fire. But five hundred thousand plus acres and you know, and and all of these folks who've lost their homes, a fifty acre fire is gonna take three days to recover from. A five hundred thousand acre fire is gonna take, you know, fifty years to recover from. And so I, I just think that the formula is a little bit off and let's be honest, who is living in these rural areas? prime? Mm-hmm. You know, uh, and, and so it, 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 it has a, a disproportionate effect on us. Um, and, and certainly you're seeing that, you know, and you're going to see that with, uh, Cortassi, right? with, with uh, uh, Greenville.
0: Right. So. I was going to ask you about that. Can you, can you talk about the story of what happened? There was, there's a, there's tribal land right near or, or in Greenville.
1: Well, no, I mean so so your my Indian response to that is, dude, it's all tribal land. Right. <laughs> so so my second response, you know, the 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 different look at view viewpoint of it is that, well, I mean, there wasn't, to my knowledge, any trust land in Greenville. The, the, the reservation is outside of it, and miraculously, you know, if you go to uh, the fire maps and look you'll see that the fire just like skirted all the way around that thing somehow, but like, it's just insane. I mean, it went, it went right to the edge of it. And I, you know, and I had to stay on the phone constantly and updating uh, folks up there uh, and telling them, you know, the, the hot spot is 200 yards from the reservation, but it never, never made it, never made it on there. So, but people get confused because then they were like, Hey, the clinic at Indian Valley is still standing. There. And I was like, well, that's awesome. You're right. That's a nice, beautiful clinic it's not the tribe's clinic. You know, the, tribe, the tribe had offices and, uh, you know, and uh, their tribal health facility was in Greenville, the town, and it burned down. And so, you know, so they had uh, their, their tribal offices and other infrastructure inside of the town of Greenville that did not make it.
0: And uh, please tell us the name of the tribe.
1: Greenville Rancheria?
0: Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, because we saw a lot of photos no, of Greenville. You will
1: hear me say um, "Kotasi," right? And I and I I'm, I pronounce it probably as good as you know one of those amazing do um, folks would pronounce "Kashaya," right? I mean, so, <laughs> so with all due respect, I'm, it could be. Uh, I haven't been corrected too much in that pronunciation, but you know, that's the, that's the name uh, for the the town of Greenville. That's what the tribe called it, and so uh, you know been pushing hard for people to recognize that and as uh we start to say these names you know let's let's call them by their tribal name first right let's call it kotase instead of uh greenville you know uh, out of respect for the tribe and the people who um lived a, uh, have lived a, a uh interesting life i don't know about you but when i heard gold uh gold rush towns to uh california indian people that that means something mm-hmm. and uh and you know and, and to all the good listeners out there um if you don't know what i'm talking about look it up because uh, i'm not going to be the one to explain that but uh i, I don't think it takes too uh too high of a level of intelligence to put two and two together that gold rush town and indian didn't didn't turn out very well for the indian and uh you know and 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 the the thing is is when I talk about having to bring the you know, tribal perspective or a tribal look out and ensure for tribal interests uh, when we have these kind of uh, you know fire uh, operations, it's not limited to the federally recognized tribe. There are some uh, non-federally recognized tribes up there that are full of, of Indian people. You know, not I'm reading out of a book, not I'm opening, I became Indian for a damn casino. No, like Indian people speaking their language practicing their culture and their traditions, uh, you know, who um, have not assimilated to, uh, to the um, American culture and, uh, and sold out. And so, you know, so kind of keeping in mind and making sure that uh, folks are, are remembering to, uh, to talk with them, to think about, you know, like, hey, don't forget these guys are here too. And, uh, you know, and we need to uh, be all-encompassing when it comes to uh, the word tribe when we're referencing Plumas County and Lassen County and uh, the Indian people that live in it. And, uh, you know, if, if one Indian is suffering, then all Indians are suffering, right? And so we need to do a better job, uh, not just as tribes, but as agencies need to and, you know, pg needs to and everybody else that has the ability to, to look into uh, how, how we're taking care of tribes during these emergencies. We all need to, to do the best that we can and, uh, and do better. Even if we're doing a good job, and we feel like it, still need to do better. Still need to do better. So you know.
0: Well, fires also—they might seem like a great equalizer because they don't recognize property boundaries, right? But actually, because of the way that our society is set up, they do hit communities harder. Some communities get hit <clears throat> harder than other communities. Can you talk about how that works in Indian country?
1: Well, you know, kind of. I think it's the geographic thing first. Right, I mean, um, you know, very few tribes were put in these huge population centers, right? I mean, the, the one that comes to mind that wasn't, you know, was Agua Caliente and just like owns Palm Springs, like, God, dude, and good on them. But when they, when they put them on that reservation, they weren't doing it because they thought, oh, this is the best piece of land. <laughs> like, they were like, no way, we're never going to move here. And then, oops, look what happened, right? Now the tribe owns you. Good on them. But if you look up here, you look, like, you know, look at some of the reservations that exist here. You know, Round Valley was never considered it was going to be this huge metropolitan area. You know, Stewart's Point was never considered that it was going to be this, you know, extra-huge uh, place where there's big port and all this kind of stuff. You know, they were really selective in, in making sure that Indians were out of sight, out of mind. Um, and, uh, you know, with few exceptions, that's the case, you know, some of the recently recognized tribes that, are, uh, you know, like is a good example, you know, that um, you know, their original reservation was very much out of sight, out of mind. If you've ever seen where the original Greaton Rancheria is, you know, and good on them for being able to make themselves visible now, you know, right there in Roar Park. Uh, if you don't see it, Greaton Rancheria now, You clearly probably shouldn't be driving because it's huge and it's right along Highway 101. But there's less examples of that and more examples of, you know, Indians in very remote places. And so uh, when, it, when those remote places, you know, uh, those are the areas that are, uh, you know, high-fire high threat areas. And, um, you know, you have, like, for, for Stuart's point, one of the most irritating things for us on our reservation is um, you've got the Bureau of Indian Affairs that continually tells us that you're not in a high-fire threat area. And you just want to grab someone and just, like, say, okay, well, then come live here, sucker, and bring your kids, too. And uh, and let's see how if that, if that attitude changes when the first three fires hit, you know. And last year, having fires on all three sides of us, and at one point, you know, the escape route is the ocean. And again, still no fire funds coming from the Bureau of Indian Affairs to put legitimate fire protections in, uh, or to provide training. And so, you know, for and it's because we're rural. It's because we're out of sight, out of mind. And uh, when when Indian communities. Um, on on trust land on reservation land, burn, you know if it's a, a, a declared one, FEMA will come in right away and assist. And you saw that happen with Redwood Valley. You know they'll do they did a they did a pretty damn good job. And Indian Health Services uh, came in pretty quick to make sure water was being uh, installed and to uh, help uh, you know pg e as uh, they. Uh, put power back in into pads, you know, on an emergency basis to get people up and running. So they did some, some pretty amazing stuff. But, you know, and think, think about when it's not these declared events. You know, the Bureau of Indian Affairs puts in a liaison that does a pretty damn good job. Uh, but, you know, they, they weren't there for, for quite a few days and um, BIA has a trust responsibility to federally recognized tribes. What happens to these non-federally recognized tribes that are having their houses burned and it's not on trust land? You know, I mean, fortunately, you know, there's some pretty good um, and knowledgeable BIA folks out there that realize that these communities are non-federally recognized but are still looking out for them up here in the north. I don't know how they do it in the central. I don't know how they do it in the south. But they're doing that up here in the north, and I've, I've found that to be very, very um, you know, respectful Action on the behalf of behalf of the bureau to make sure they're looking after these non federally recognized, you know, um, Indian people. But so you know, so you kind of look at like how is this affecting us? Well, how long is it going to take the rebuild? Right? If Kashaya burns, well, we're so remote. You know how long it takes to get anything out there as it is. Any kind of a rebuild is going to be delayed. Um. And, and then, you know, and then it becomes a funding issue. And then a Section 106 issue with environmental impact reports and how, how are you going to be able to rebuild. When Enterprise burned last year, um, you know, it was uh, a similar thing. Enterprise Rancheria is so far out in Butte County. And, you know, it just came down to I, I remember being out there with uh, folks from Interior who were doing these remediation teams and, you know, looking at, how can they start removing things and making sure that uh, any of the toxic waste isn't left behind from any trailers or anything like that or cars that burned up, right? And uh, the guy was awesome. Holy crap. He was one guy covering the entire western half of the United States. And that poor man was constantly on planes going into these areas, assessing and then uh, deploying um, teams in. If you remember the the fires of 2020, there should have been 100 people doing that and not one guy doing the assessing, right? And so how, how does it affect us? Well, right there, you know, I mean, you start to look at delays, um, you know, and you wonder to yourself, if you're a tribe, like, how, how high up in the priority list am I for these uh, federal agencies mm-hmm. to, to help us rebuild?
0: So there's you know, a, a higher risk for uh, for experiencing fire because of the location of the communities and l- fewer resources there to help people uh, prepare and uh, deal with the aftermath?
1: Yeah, and it's worse than that. You know, at, at, at Kishaya, you know, we had these, uh, we had fire hydrants, right? That's kind of glorified statement for basically a water faucet that was different ones that were strategically placed. And if you can believe this, up until, like, maybe around 2010-ish, um, they were the wrong size. So they were some outdated standard. Uh, they weren't, they didn't have, you know, like, if you see uh, a fire, a, a riser of, of, you know, uh, where uh, a uh, engine can hook his line into, if you see that out here, it's got yellow poles around it, it's painted red, there's a standard, and um, ours weren't. And they were the wrong size. So even, like, it was the whole thing. Like, even when these guys, these fire departments would pull up, you know, to help us fight a fire on the reservation, you know, back then, they would have to bring their own water because they wouldn't be able to hook into our water system. <laughs> and it was, you know, and, and so I'd be curious to see how much money the, the um, Interior is spending on that. Are they spending any money to ensure that, that we're all to the same standard, you know, and, um, and where's the fire training dollars that need to happen? Because... You know, we had some amazing folks at Stewart's Point last year who, who you know, just did what they could. Neelam in 2017 did what they could, and Redwood Valley in 2017 did what they could, right? I mean, where's that tra- where are those training dollars at? Where is the real training dollars at that can do fire suppression activities that are safe, not necessarily figure out engineering from that standpoint, you know, which is a totally different thing, head pressure and nozzle pressure and all of that. But, um, but give us something so we can knock a fire back for half an hour because it takes 25 minutes to get a fire uh, engine from one of our responding agencies at Stewart's Point. Can you imagine what it is for some of these other reservations that don't have fire departments? Right, UROC's got their own, but even in can't. that's pretty spread out. And, uh, and so, you know, this community-based approach to knocking down a small fire that is on a reservation uh, so that firefighters can get in, cut line around it, and, and knocking, in, and providing public safety, right? Where is that? Where are those dollars for that? Uh, in between time, that that golden half an hour that exists for so many tribes until emergency responders can get there, but you know, otherwise they're throwing buckets of water. You know, where they can quickly run to a, a pre-attached hose and bam, get that sucker out. Uh, there just needs to they need to do more. I, I'm I'm going I'm to say this. And I love Deb Holland with everything in me because she's an amazing human being. I wish that somebody would be her in her ear and, and and explain that tribes, rural tribes, small tribes, the trust responsibility to us is no different than the trust responsibility to Navajo. And they have a responsibility for our public health and safety, and that includes fire preparation and preparedness. And they're failing, failing. The Department of Interior is failing small tribes and helping us with our ability to protect ourselves from these fires.
0: Well, and then we hear these amazing stories like in Redwood Valley, which you mentioned, which uh, when the Redwood complex fire hit at the same time as the the Tubbs fire in 2017, we hear these amazing stories of tribal Mm -hmm. members doing everything, risking everything to save houses on their reservations. Um, I wonder if you saw that, if you're seeing that in the Dixie, fire and the the fires that are, are burning now and you know yeah what's what's there to protect reservations besides just the courage of the people who who live there are these are there local fire departments on reservations are they trained i hear you saying that there's been a failure um what's the state of that
1: i don't know i don't know what the, i don't know what Interior's plans are I know that the tribal leaders need to voice that. I know that, you know, people like myself that have a direct line into interior, um, we're, we're all so focused on other issues with climate change and resiliency that, you know, the, the root cause. Like, right now, we're focusing on the root cause. People like me are, you know, um, and, uh, and then, you know, um, coming up with solutions to the root cause. We need more tribal leaders to focus on uh, the effects. You know, and mm-hmm. in the effect, how we how we how we handle that are are exactly that. You know, providing uh, more resource grants, reviewing. You know, quit telling us that we're not higher fire threat when we've had. You know. How many fires in Mendocino County? How many fires in Sonoma County? Is that that just needs to stop. <laughs>
0: countless. I mean, countless. Well, it just every yeah. day there's an there's a new one, um, and yet so so there's not really a program for um, kind of developing uh, yeah, and supporting yeah, yeah. local tribal fire departments.
1: No, no. You know, y- you have to. Uh, there's like so for fire departments, yes. But for does Redwood Valley have a fire department? <laughs> should they Yeah. yes <laughs> they've, got, they've got the people up there that can do it Does kishaya have one you know Does castle you know uh you know i'm just just calling out the local ones does the lamb that's burned how many times on res do mm-hmm. they have a fire department no no do we need them hell yeah you know and and it's like it's it's deaf ears you know the strategy is we'll send the liaison when the fire burns that's yeah, that Mm-hmm. I, 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 that's, it, it speaks to the general problems that we face when we're looking at um, fires. And now, you know, in the last two years, we've really, and, and by we I mean not just tribes, but, um, you know, communities, tribal and, and non-tribal communities that are now partnering with each other, right? You look at the work done up in east and, and then Stuart Point. You know, the fishaya areas and, and all around you look at these, these uh these burns that they're doing. They're calling them traditional burns, but eh yeah, it's a lot of non traditional plants right now, right? So eucalyptus trees didn't exist and those things are evil when they catch fire. But they're they're doing these traditional burns and they're looking at better ways of partnering together and being proactive and you know, instead of, of fire suppression. And fire prevention is the biggest is way bigger than suppression should be. If if you're at suppression, you've already failed. Uh, you've already lost. You know, um, your prevention activities really are are your offensive plan. Everybody thinks it's like you know prevention is fire defense, and that's like the, that's a, a good way to kind of look at it. But really, it those are fire offense. Your prevention is putting in fire lines and creating defendable spaces, right? If you've got fire lines in defensible spaces, and when you have a fire, your offense is your, your way of fighting that fire is based off of that. Okay, cool. We got this hundred footer around this house here. Let's anchor here and cut fire line out to the next one. You know, and rather than you know having to put a three hundred foot fire line in, you've got two houses with a hundred feet around each of them, and you've just got this one hundred foot in between it, and it's so much faster. If you're like, <laughs> You know, it's pre-planning, right? And that your your offense is based on that. And it's it's fire fire folks recognize it, but again, it all comes back to where the hell is interior? Why aren't they going to each one of these tribes that are in these rural areas and developing these fire suppression and fire prevention and fire defense plans? Mm -hmm. Where are they? They're 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 effing nowhere, and you know, and it's like we have to demand better. Or, uh, or expect the same thing. And you tell me a tribe right now that's going to look at you and tell you, ah, I expect the same thing because it's going to get better. Hell no, it's not going to get better. It's going to get worse. And the burn scar of last year is filled up with invasive species now. <laughs> and it's going to burn faster this year. And we're seeing that. We're seeing that literally as we speak right now on Dixie Fire. There are fire lines that are in the burn scars of previous fires, and the fire is approaching it. And, uh, and that stuff is burning again, you know, and so it's like it's just just crappy invasive species stuff that, you know, certainly my people didn't bring, you know. <laughs> I'm not going to take the blame for Indian people on that one, but, uh, but and un- it's unmanageable. Pompous grass when it catches fire is unmanageable. Scotch broom when it catches fire is unmanageable and uh, shoots, shoots flame three times its size whereas uh, the native grass species um, do one and a half, you know? And so if, if it's near trees and you're shooting three times your height, guess what gets into the crown of the tree? And now how are you going to stop that? So it's just, it's it's really, it isn't that complicated. Um, but it's, I think the frustration of seeing nothing really, you know, nothing tangible, nothing real being done, you know, no, no real fire plans and, and then you you have like uh, these just low life scumbags that are hitting up tribes that have no understanding of anything, that are getting these huge consultant dollars to come in and write these plans that are basically saying put water on wet on, on red stuff, you know, and <laughs> and they're fleecing us, mm-hmm. and uh, it, it, it's like nope, you know where where Interior the United States government has so much at its disposal to assist tribes. They have so much expertise that they could drop in and say, hey, you know, the President Biden t- tomorrow could put out an executive order that says, uh, I commend all of my uh, fish and game, fish and wildlife, uh, all of my forest service, uh, all of my, you know, anything from Interior, Bureau of Land Management, all of it, I commend uh, that, that every single agency will uh, work together to develop fire plans for every single reservation in the United States in Alaska. And let's be honest, and let's do something for Hawaii, too, and American Samoa. <laughs> you know, and they, and they could do that. He could do that. Tell them to develop these types of uh, defensible plans for tribes. He could do that tomorrow.
0: Sounds like to something that would be uh, good to put in that infrastructure bill they're all working on
1: the infrastructure bill should have funding, uh, you know, for, for your bills you put a funding hook in, right? Affordable Care Act worked for Indian tribes. Why did it work for Indian tribes? And why do I hate, like, these Trump people that sit there and say, like, oh, especially the Indians, that say, oh, you know, get rid of the Affordable Care Act. It's like, dude, do you have any funding authorizations are inside the Affordable Care Act that allow tribes to, um, to reach out and receive funding that we never could before because we were a tribe? And we were cut off. That number is huge, and so they, they need to do something similar with tribes for, for fire stuff. You know, and right now it's like you have to be qualified, you have to have a fire department. But you know, a lot of us aren't. We're too small, or, or we don't have that, that expertise to have a large fire department on our reservation, to much less pay somebody that could command top dollar anywhere else, right? So we have to figure out more creative ways of doing that, and funding authorizations are where what should go into the infrastructure bill, uh, he needs to do an executive order and just command that they, they do these plans. Planning should be executive order. Mm-hmm. Uh, it really should. And, you know, and he could do it and say, I want to report back in 90 days. You know, uh, because we're doing that on something else. <laughs> I just can't say what it is, but we're doing that on something else. Like, we want to report back in 90 days. And and you're going to see that um, come from uh, come from the president pretty quick here. But I wish we could do the same thing with fire planning. Ooh, we'll keep an eye pre- out.
0: All right, well, it's Pomo Perspective. I'm Alicia Bales, live in the studio. Our guest is Reno Kaoni franklin He's the chairman emeritus of the Kashaya Band of Pomo Indians and the vice chairman of the Sonoma County Indian Health Project, also an EMT and firefighter who's been working uh, more than a month of uninterrupted days as the tribal liaison with the EOC on the Dixie Fire and the other fires raging in Northern California. Uh, Reno, how are we doing on time? Do you need to get going or do you want to keep talking?
1: Now I've got my son changing the tire outside, so we're good.
0: Sweet. Okay, good. So one of the things, you're talking about current realities for fire for, for tribal communities, especially, you know, in the context of the, of the work that you do. You're seeing it uh, every day, hour by hour. Uh, but one of the things that when you talk with tribal people about, fire everybody brings up traditional fire practices right and you talked about fire Mm -hmm. prevention and projects happening in yurok and um up north uh working with prescribed burning um It strikes me that as you talk about uh, invasive species coming back into the burn scars and the eucalyptus and all of these um, non-native species that burn, it's like we're in a a totally different reality, a a much worse reality, obviously, than than there ever was on this landscape. What's it like to, at this point, have people turning to you and asking you about uh, traditional burning practices and looking to tribes for um, a, a way out of the mess that we're in?
1: Yeah, I think you know because when when the questions come up, you know, you have to kind of look at. There's a lot of mouthpieces out there, and I see it. I need like a, a bag of tomatoes so I can just chuck them at people and tell them to shut up, you know. Um, and the mouthpieces are the ones that are just like, "Hey, traditional burning's a big name. Why don't I uh, put a apply for a grant and put my name on it, and then talk a whole bunch of Indian stuff that these poor funders won't know any better, and uh, <laughs> and then leave somebody with a half ass plan." And so there, there's that group, and they're they're loud. You see them a lot. And then there's then there's the real deal, right? There's Karu, there's Yurok, you know. And I know Hoopa is involved in that as well. And um, you know, and uh, and what the, the projects that are going along the coast, Stewart's Point, and you know, there's there's quite a few others as well. That when they say traditional burning, uh, it in, it incorporates you know both sides of the house so to speak the environmental and the cultural side and a traditional burn has to have both and uh, and without getting into other people's cultures um, I'll just say that uh, you know I've seen some of the work that they've been doing and uh, read about it and then heard directly uh, directly poured out from people talking about it to me and, and, I, and I think it's beautiful um, and, uh, and there's, there's just the perspective that is there that is different than the mouthpiece folks that are out there they're you know kind of just pretending to know i think that with all things culture and tradition it it evolves as time goes on um there's there's no way it doesn't i like to use the example of in our roundhouse with kashaya i remember the day that my uncle uh had to get up and explain to everybody that pagers were not allowed inside of the roundhouse and i kept i thought to myself that was the funniest thing i'd ever heard and then uh, later on, I was like, oh, my God, you know, it's an example of culture uh, evolving, right, to include things that didn't exist, you know, 200 years ago, 100 years ago, 50 years ago. Uh, this cultural burning is the same thing. Traditional burning is the same thing. It it, it takes two things. It takes traditional knowledge, which is uh, one piece of, uh, of a subset of information that exists within tribal people, and it as traditional ecological knowledge which is separate and apart and uh also is full of the knowledge of indigenous people and merges the two into how you're going to um cause an effect onto the land and um as those have developed both tk and tek uh they have had to encompass all things that are on the land now and, and, and and you know i know that for kashaya you know when we have our our blessings and our ceremonies and we bless plants and life we're not doing it for eucalyptus trees i'm gonna pick on those because those are real sobs you know when they burn they burn bad and so we didn't we don't you know we don't have a ceremony for that i don't care if that plant dies we can kill them all in the united states i don't give a damn because they're not a part of my ceremonies and prayers and they're not from here go back to where they're from where they can burn everything in australia and they always do right <laughs> you, you're seeing huge problems with those trees back home and so it's just kind of like a perspective as you merge all of these uh, pieces, bodies of knowledge together for the purpose of doing a traditional burn um, then you burn it. And and then you start to, as you're doing the burn incorporate non-traditional lines of thinking, right? The foundational uh, piece, the most important foundational piece for traditional burning are the two T's, T-E-K-T-K. And when you Pair that with the non-traditional of uh, uh, viewpoint of fire, and let's put this here because we know that the fire will run up this canyon like it always does. Let's do our traditional burn here to make sure that uh, you know we provide a defensible space and a potential fire buffer. And uh, it, it's it's actually a really cool way of looking at fire and uh, fire prevention and fire protection, um, but it takes really knowledgeable people to incorporate the two T's into that thought line of fire protection. And, you know, and it has to be real, right? I mean, those blessings that go to those uh, that, those areas, uh, you know, the ethnobotanical reviews that get done to make sure, like, ooh, hey, you know, here's sedge, it likes to be burned, it comes back stronger. Let's make sure we incorporate that and this into our plan as well, you know, that kind of stuff. Pretty cool to see it happen. Not a lot of people that understand how to do that right, but the ones that are, hats off to them. And I just mentioned those tribes that, you know, that are. Um, and then and then when you look at it from that aspect, and you see these yahoos out here that are just trying to say, oh, it's just we need to traditional burn, everything, you know, but don't actually understand what that means. You, you'll get a little irritated at why are those people saying that if they don't, you know, they don't even understand what that is. They're just trying to get that hot dollar item. And unfortunately, you see it. You know, it's you definitely see it. And some of those people aren't even Indians. <laughs> it just amazes me. Mm-hmm. But you know, again, kind of leaving leaving the audience with the understanding that it takes those two T E K T T K, uh, and and it takes the merging of those with our understanding of fire behavior and fire pre- prevention, fire defense, fire protection today to make that you know to make that uh, a real real workable thing for fire defense.
0: Mm-hmm. So fire prevention, what you're talking about is a layer that gets incorporated in with traditional knowledge and traditional ecological knowledge. It's not necessarily what Native people have been doing on this landscape for millennia. Um, the the fires were used for, for different purposes, right? Rather than fire prevention.
1: Yeah, I mean, you know, depending on the area, right? I mean, I'm just... I'm just Strictly saying, from uh, our, our viewpoint here in Northern California, is the topography is what's going to dictate this kind of stuff. You know, we don't have these huge, massive grasslands that they do, you know, down towards the foothills or especially in the plains. Right, the grasslands go on for hundreds of miles. <laughs> you know, so so you know, in some of those places, they were they were managing that way. You don't and, and for that, but for for us up here, that's a, just a little bit different. And, uh, and, and I think that, you know, I think that you don't, you don't say that this, that you never say that the three of them belong together in that same space in in a way of like, you're merging, like you merge them, the priorities together, but it's like, they are still super separate, right? That fire prevention side is, is separate. It's a non-native way of thinking when you're talking about where to put these fire lines in and that, you know, and the fire lines are burned in. You know, how we do this vegetation management that, uh, will, um, allow firefighters a chance to, to get there and suppress a fire before it gets up into the crown. And so, you know, that part is, uh, is very much a, a separate, a different kind of thinking. You know, fire prevention is a different kind of thinking than, um, traditional knowledge and traditional ecolo- uh, ecological knowledge and traditional, you know, burns. They're, uh, they're definitely a, a different line of thinking, but it just, it's a, it's, a, it's when you, they merge that together, when they say, like, hey, let's apply this to this. Let's apply these two T's to, you know, um, what it's, let's be honest, it's a, to, to a prescribed burn, which is what it is. Let's provide these two T's into this prescribed burn perspective and see how we can leverage this understanding and knowledge to protect this community.
0: And you say there are communities who are, who are working on this.
1: Oh, yeah. Yeah, definitely. There's, you know, it's happening here in Sonoma County. You know, they're working on that. You know, and again, up in Humboldt, and I think probably Del North too. You know, uh, you know, Trinity. You know, I mean, yeah. Yeah, there are, there are you know, and that's just, I'm not to say those are the only ones. I wouldn't be surprised if uh, they were doing this in other communities as well. I don't know if Tuolumne is, but I wouldn't be surprised if they, if they were. You know, these it's just Indian people are going to protect ourselves, and sometimes we're going to do it. You know, on a great scale that you'll see as it as, as meant to be an example. I know that when Yurok did theirs and Kadaruk did theirs, they, we all knew about it. So it was pretty awesome, you know. But they publicized it so that we could understand they were doing it, and that helped all of us that were needing to do it. Um, but there are other tribes that are just like, no problem to tell anybody. We're going to get it done. Hats off to them. I think I think the hats off to anybody that's trying to use traditional knowledge to uh, protect their people.
0: Well, and you were talking earlier, I think the last time we talked, too, you talked a lot about um, the acreage of reservation land, and um, you have uh, a 700-acre sort of tribal land now on the coast, and we've got all these private property boundaries that it sounds like ma- would make this work extremely complicated to figure out whereas before um exclusion and removal of native communities from this land it was a whole different view uh, a whole different yeah. relationship with watersheds
1: yeah K- kyn right K- know your neighbor <laughs> so you know in our case for us our neighbors are great you know they're they're, they're a family we've known for so long and they are uh, uh, on one that borders one side of our coastal property the other side is bordered by the state, you know, uh, and state parks. So, it just depends, you know. Some, if we were to try and institute something like this, and um, you know, it just everything works out differently depending on who your neighbors are and how well the tribe gets along with them. Uh, I think that even if you don't get along great with your neighbors, find like, you know, these commonalities, these common shared goals for, you know, protecting. I protect you. You protect me. Right. The way that. Uh, some tribes and some of uh, tribal neighbors did back in the old days. And just looked out for each other, regardless of uh, whether they were Indian or non Indian. Let's just look out for each other. And so I mean, that attitude definitely needs to come back. It'll ignore, we miss out. We lose out as a society when we're not looking down, kind of maintaining that perspective. But um, it can be done. You know, the the, the fire, fire prevention at this point. Um, they need. I think they need more. Uh, planning grants in the rural communities that, uh, and they need to encourage um, like a tribe and a non-tribal entity to enter into uh, agreements for prevention. It's not going to work for everything. And I think that's, that's always part of the problem. It, always, it is always part of the problem people think, well, it's not going to work for me. So let's not do it. It's like, well, then we're not talking to you. <laughs> we're talking to somebody that it will work for because it has to be a hundred strategies that merge into one overall goal. A hundred battles that are fought to win a war, right? <laughs> and so, when you think at fire prevention and protection for tribes, it's got to be a hundred strategies that help us to win a hundred, a hundred different battles to win that war against fires' impacts in our tribal communities. So, you know, focusing, turning back to Greenville again, and in uh, the fire, you know, Dixie Fire, which. Uh, you know, is affecting so many tribes up there. Um, how can we do a better job of, of inventorying um, lands that have tribal interests in it and uh, our potential evacuation sites for tribes? You know, how, do we, how can we better track that? You know, we've got three people right now that are working on getting me information so that I can deploy stuff to them. Uh, and, um, it t- it's, it's three people, you know, so there's, there should be a, um, an easier way of identifying those folks who have those needs, kind of prepare it, get, get ahead of it and, um, and have that communication plan so that people know this is what you do during the, during this, these huge fires that roll through, uh, be safe. The first 48 hours would be crazy at, at the, after 48 hours, check-in and here's the designated check-in point so that we can get resources because the longer it takes the more people suffer right so and that doesn't exist and but again that's all pre-planning stuff that, that you know the communication part of pre-planning that people forget so like it's why I said going back to Dixie Fire what's working what's not working um, you know I, I think that there's more stuff working than not and I wouldn't say that anything's necessarily not working but it could be better.
0: You were the chairman of the Kashaya tribe during the 2017 Tubbs fire and did a ton, a ton of work to support tribal members who were affected by the North Bay fires in 2017. How is that experience helping inform the work that you're doing today on the Dixie fire?
1: Well, you know, um, Chairwoman Martin, uh, I've known her Oh, my gosh, for a very long time, you know, since she was pretty young, Uh, still is young, but much younger, you know, Uh, and her and her mom would come to uh, California World Indian Health Board meetings and uh, watched her mature into the tribal leader that she is today. And she was sworn in a week before the fire uh, burned down her tribal office. Oh, man. And so, you know, she's all heart. She loves her people. And uh, and she's knowledgeable. And she is capable. Um, but it doesn't hurt to have folks who've also been through this that uh, can help coach. And so, you know, um, I think that for me, my 2017 experience is uh, has taught me um, not patience, you know, when talking to other tribal leaders, but just empathy. And, uh, you know, she's, everybody's telling her what to do. And it's like she knows what to do. She just needs little tips here and there and stuff that can help her. And lines of communication that are open, and so you know, and so it's really taught me. that If anything, was hey, here's that, here's a line, you know, here's your lifeline. If to me, if you need it, use it, uh, and I don't care what it is, you know, because um, you're taking on the grieving of people, uh, and you have a responsibility to those grieving people. And so, protect your spiritual, your mental health, and then really encouraging people, tribal leaders. Uh, and uh, people with responsibilities to tribes, of, of, you know, protecting themselves. And I think that that's all the kind of stuff that, you know, there's the logistical stuff. Yeah, you could set up, yes, yes, call these people, yes, you know, that kind of stuff. Yeah, you know, then that that's, that's that that definitely is, has uh, helped me to be able to communicate that with tribal leaders. But I had a, a young man the other day call me over the weekend, actually, and uh, and he was just you know trying to figure out generators and gasoline, it's just an like amazing young Mountain Maidu man. And uh, we talked and, and I, I was listening for key words. One of the key words that he told me was that uh, you know, so many people were in pain. And he was they and they were all calling him at once. And that immediately triggered me to think I need to pray for this young man. And 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 then and then just talk to him, like not from a standpoint of like listen to me, woo, I know this shit but no. Oh, sorry. Sorry can But you know, but but more of, hey, young brother, you know, I love what you're doing. I love that you're doing this for your people. But you got to protect yourself. You're taking on pain and hurt, and you have to protect yourself spiritually and mentally, physically, emotionally, all these things. Protect your well-being. Don't forget is that it's not just your well-being of wearing a mask, and of, uh, you know, because the smoke is so thick, or wearing your, your turnouts or your Nomex to protect you from flames, but also that spiritual aspect of it. So that you know people have lost everything, and and he told me he said that so he asked somebody if they needed a generator and, and a, pardon my French. They said, "What the f- for? I don't have anything to generate. I lost everything." And and I could hear his pain in hearing that. And so I think, if anything, the 2017 fires taught me was um, make sure that you know as tribal leaders, we're looking out for our employees. So they're taking on the same pain we are, maybe not to the same extent, you know, of that feeling of responsibility, but they have it. Protect, protect, you know, the responsibility of a tribal leader isn't just to protect those affected by the fires, but those who are helping serve those people affected by the fires. Because that, for me, I, I can remember the flames of 2017 and it sucked, but nothing comes close to um, being in a room with crying people who lost everything and they just have their slippers and their kids room in their pajamas. They don't even have shoes on, you know. And uh, and the pain and the emotion of that uh, is 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 far more memorable. So I, I think the the lessons of 2017 are 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 definitely uh, something that helps me in this process to help uh, you know other tribes and tribal leaders and tribal staff as they go about the um, serving serving tribal people affected by this
0: well reno kayoni franklin this was going to bring us up to the top of the hour that was a whole hour yeah amazing thank you um and i know that you have a whole lot to do you've been on the fire line now for (laughs) 36 days and you've got stuff you need to tend to yourself in your life so i'm gonna i'm just gonna give you a second to leave us with any final thoughts and thank you so much for for spending the hour with us
1: yeah no I, i appreciate you thanks you know um uh, Michael, uh, Chairman Hunter, uh, wanted me to tell everybody that uh, he thinks I'm a better basketball player than him. And I uh, just want to get that out there to your listeners that uh, the chairman has finally acknowledged this, which is amazing. And, uh, and that should be uh, coined uh, on a T-shirt of some some sort that uh, eventually uh, Michael will wear. And uh, <laughs> that's really all I have to say. Love okay. you. Love what you do. And thank you.
0: All right. Thank you, Reno. I hope we get to talk again soon and, and be well.
1: You too. Bye-bye.
0: Bye-bye. And that was Reno Keone Franklin. He is the the chairman emeritus of the Kashaya Band of Pomo Indians in Sonoma County and the vice chairman of the Sonoma County Indian Health Project. He's also a firefighter and an EMT, and I just feel super fortunate that we just got to spend the hour with him. Um, My name's Alicia Bales. Thanks again for listening. Uh, Michael Hunter will be back with you next month for Pomo Perspective on the third Monday of the month at 9 a.m.,